0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman. Today, Eric Fawcett from GatorCountry.com and I will break down Florida's uh, loss to Kentucky, talk about the uh, offensive trouble down the stretch, Florida's trouble rebounding. We will answer some listener questions and uh, discuss some criticisms of the coaching staff. And then we'll preview uh, Florida's contest at Auburn. Uh, Bruce Pearl, uh, no stranger to Gator fans. And a very tough place to play the last couple of years with uh, Pearl doing a nice job uh, on the plains, making that basketball program uh, probably the most relevant it's been in in at least my lifetime, which spans uh, 30 plus years. So uh, enjoy the show and um, thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody, uh, to the Florida Basketball Hour. I'm with Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. It's his birthday, so we are going to start with uh, a topic he wanted to bring up um, in the wake of Florida's uh, 65-54 loss to now number five, Kentucky. And um, we'll just let uh, Eric get going, and, and happy birthday to him.
1: All right. Thank you very much. Okay, Neil, I want you to give me a one-word reaction to the take I'm going to deliver and I'm just going to see what you uh, what you have to say. Um then we'll talk a little bit more about that after. Um here's my take. I think that Noah Locke is going to finish his time in Florida as the leader in points for the Orange and Blue. What is your reaction to that?
0: Maybe. <laughs> All <laughs> right. So this
1: I we're going to I'm just going to talk about it a little more and um what kind of happened was, uh, so as some people might know, uh, Kayvon Allen um, slid into 10th in Florida scoring um, over the weekends. And just something about that that I thought was, uh, was pretty interesting is just the fact that he is now 10th. Um, if he kind of keeps up uh, an average pace of scoring, he's probably going to end up 6th in, in all-time scoring for Florida. And the thing about that is I was just kind of thinking to myself, um, hey, like Kayvon Allen has never really had an elite offensive season. And really, he's had, you know, just had a really rough offensive season and uh, but still going to end up sixth. So I started to look at it and uh, and I was trying to think to myself, uh, I was looking at uh, at Noah Locke's kind of numbers. And I thought, hey, if he's a four year player, I think he might uh, he might finish here as uh, as the all time leading scorer at Florida. So what I want you to do now is uh, I'm going to uh, I'm going to give some numbers and what I want you to do. Is if i ever being, if I'm ever kind of being way too optimistic, or if I'm saying something that you think is just a totally kind of like, hey Eric, that's that's too much. Um, I want <laughs> you to interrupt, and, I want you to interrupt and stop me. So this is this is where we're at right now. Um, he's a lot. He's averaging 11.4 points per game this season, um, but he's averaging 15 points in conference play. So if I were to say, um, Florida plays 33 games this year, they play 12 more games, and he has 15 more points per game. Um, he'll have 394 points on the, on the, for this season. Does that sound all right to you? Do you think that you know, keeping 15 points a game going forward, do you think he'll keep that up? I think he'll be close to it. He'll be close. So then let's say next year, um, Florida's, let's, let's say next year, knowing that he scores 15 points a game in conference this year, he takes a little bit of a dip, you know, doesn't have a big sophomore season, but he averages 14.1 points per game per season. Does that sound, that's not too optimistic. Does, is that I think that's reasonable. All right. Now let's say in, uh, in year three, he kind of keeps the same three-point shooting he's had because I'm not sure how much more he can get better, but he gets better from the two, uh, in two-point range because um, for those of you who don't know, he is currently like, shooting like 33% from two, he's, which is you know quite bad. That is uh, not a good number. Let, let's say that gets, uh, that gets a little bit better and he averages 16.5 points per game as a junior. Takes a little bit of a step. Do you still think that's a little bit reasonable?
0: Yeah, that's reasonable.
1: And then let's say, so 16.5 points is a, as a junior, and let's just say he gets just a hair better if, if he stays four years of Florida and averages 17.5 points a game for for the Gators.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think that might be high, but... But, uh, you know, I guess if if he can get 16 and a half as a junior, then maybe he can get 16 and a half as a senior. Right? All right.
1: So if he did that and Florida played 34 games per season, which obviously says that they're going to have a little bit of – that's assuming a little bit of postseason success. Actually, and I also said that with those numbers I ran, they would only have 33 games this season because I don't – you know, I'm not sure what postseason they'll be playing in, but – um, so, anyways, but with all those numbers, that would put him at 2,092 points, which would be two points higher than Ronnie Williams, who currently has the record. So, like you said, I do think it's definitely a maybe. But um, like I said, I don't think any of those numbers are, you know, astronomically that uh, crazy. That's not him going for player of the year or first team All American. That's just him kind of taking mild steps. And uh, the other thing I was thinking too is. Uh, just something like we've talked about on the podcast, Uh, just the fact that he is, uh, he's putting up kind of 15 points per game in in conference on a team that is, you know, the second slowest, you know, team in the country in terms of possessions, Um, a team that just doesn't run very much and doesn't put up that many shots. So if Florida did just, uh, uh, you know, if he kept his same efficiency numbers from this year, identically, but Florida plays, um, you know, plays a deal faster next year, he'll just probably put up uh, you know two points per game more, just based on florida 's pace, so um yeah, anyways, uh, am I ready to say for sure that that's my uh, I definitely think Noah Locke will be the all time leading score in florida uh, you know i 'm not ready to do that, but uh, as I look at the numbers, I think that that could uh, that could certainly come into play because uh, it doesn 't seem unreasonable that he could kind of hit those targets I just said, and that would uh, that would give him the uh, the lead
0: wow that 's crazy and 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 totally possible like based on the just the math. <laughs> Yeah, and I,
1: I think, you know, part of that is that I don't like I would have probably thought that the record was a little bit more out of reach. And really, again, the only reason I started looking at it was just because I was looking at the fact that Kayvon Allen is probably gonna end up sixth, um, probably even seventh at the worst um in all time Florida points. And and once again, he had a decent freshman year, um, you know, a good sophomore year, then took a dip, and then, you know, has had a good season this year, but again, nothing it's not like he's had a truly elite offensive year. Uh, and so he's going to go on a career with no elite offensive seasons and still be sixth. So, I mean, if, if Noah Locke has two elite offensive seasons, that might be enough for him to, uh, uh, to get up near the top. Just if his, you know, just looking at how he is as a freshman.
0: Do you have his, his uh, field goal attempts per game in front of you?
1: Uh oh, I can grab him pretty quick uh, for Noah Locke. You're saying
0: yes. For Noah Locke,
1: um, for Noah Locke, he is averaging, uh 9.3 field goals a game
0: okay so here's an interesting thought that i pulled up while you were talking about this uh chris lofton at tennessee who was the sec player of the year in 2007 somehow um presumably because they didn't want to give the award to joe kim noah (laughs) 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 um or because the media just felt like it was unfair that Billy Donovan had all five stars back. So naturally, why would any of his players be the best in the league? But we don't need to relitigate that. Congrats to Chris Lofton. His freshman year average with field goal attempts per game was 9.5. Oh, wow. He went went up to 12.4 as a sophomore, peaked at 13.8 as a junior when he won SEC Player of the Year. And then as a senior year, his senior year, Um, on a team that that made a really deep NCAA tournament run, as we all remember. Um, Bruce Pearl's deepest run at at Tennessee, all the way to the Elite Eight. He only averaged 11.8 shots a year on that team, which had a little more balance. And his career point total was 2,191. Okay. Which would be best at Florida, with, of course, the asterisk being that Vernon Maxwell... Has two thousand four hundred fifty points, but his don't count. Right.
1: Uh, <laughs> that no, that that always is just interesting to put that into perspective, and um, the 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 shot totals is definitely interesting, and and something that was kind of something I was even thinking about too is not only next year will Florida's like pace probably be a little bit higher. But um, obviously, came on now and takes a lot of shots right now, and they'll be gone. And though I think that Scotty Lewis will, will factor pretty heavily into the uh, you know into what Florida does, it's not like he's a guy that's coming in and shooting 15 shots a game. And you know, Trey Mann is going to come in and he's going to be a good part of the offense. But um, you know, I don't think he's putting up a ton of shots and, and uh, just instantly going to be putting up 15 shots a game. So uh, there'll probably be even more shots uh, for Noah Locke than just as kind of the, the returning gunner. So yeah, it'll be interesting.
0: Yeah, and Lofton shot forty-two percent from three-point range in his career, which is a really remarkable number. But, but uh, you know, Noah Locke is that kind of shooter. I mean, he's he's kind of in that ballpark, isn't he? He is,
1: and uh, and like I said too, he's been really terrible from two-point range. And if you were just to say, <laughs> if you were just to say, he takes the identical shots that he has so far this season, but instead of thirty-three percent from the from two, he's shooting forty-two percent that's probably a point and a half per game more um, just instantly, even without taking more shots. So uh, there's, you know, he's obviously been a really good scorer averaging, you know, 15 points in conference play as someone who uh, has, you know, places he can obviously grow on the offensive end. So um, yeah. yeah, definitely his ceiling is, is quite high as a scorer.
0: So uh, we can transition from, from his ceiling being high to perhaps his worst game of the season Saturday. I thought, um, in fact, a lot of the reason that, that Florida probably lost, but, and I know that the Hive won't like to hear it, but, um, you know, Kentucky just did a really great job of guarding him. And Kayvon Allen, with Locke kind of shut down, couldn't get going. Yeah, that... uh, and it, it ends up with Florida a lot of empty possessions uh, down the stretch when Kentucky erased the lead.
1: Yeah, I thought he really he really was kind of challenged with the length that Kentucky had, and that's kind of one thing about Locke is that he's not an elite athlete and he's not um, he's not that big. So uh, I thought that even when when Tyler Hero was on the floor, he gave him a lot of issues. And uh, getting him uh, when if they ever switched or anything like that, it was you know he's he's getting guarded by Ashton Haggins, who we know is elite, or even Emmanuel Quickly, who has pretty good size and. Um, you know Jamari Baker has pretty you know he's bigger than bigger than Locke so he just never really got freed up and uh, obviously he kind of hit that one three in transition where he he kind of found some space there um, but generally yeah uh, Locke has been one of the most potent offensive players and and Kentucky bottled him up and then like you said that kind of caused uh, caused Florida to stumble a little bit and um, going back to his uh his kind of ability to finish inside, you know, that was, I think, you know, he was over five from, from two in that game. Uh, so that really hurts when, uh, when Kentucky just was really just challenging, you know, running him off the three-point line, challenging him to score in the paints. And obviously he's not a lead in that area.
0: Yeah. The Gators had had a bunch of, of driving lanes that that were open because Kentucky had it's their defense and kind of conceded that if Florida could finish at the basket, you know, they'd have a better day. And uh, it wasn't just Noah Locke that that struggled to to finish inside, was it? I mean, Kayvon Allen got in there and and had some trouble, and and you get in that situation, and your your, your two leading scorers go 7 of 27 from from the floor. Right, yeah. And uh,
1: DeAndre Ballard, who... um... Yeah, has not been able to to put it together a lot of uh, good basketball recently. Unfortunately, he had a couple tough ones inside, which led him to to then take some some tougher jump shots. Where I think he was a little bit hesitant to take it inside. And and Andrew Nemhart, uh, obviously, he has had some some struggles to score inside at times. He had some nice layups, but uh, but missed some. You'd like to see uh, see him pot. And uh, obviously, Kavarius Hayes fumbled a few and, uh in some really difficult matchups. So. Um, I just pulled it up while I was talking and yeah, they were, you know, 38.6% from two and uh, you kind of want to hover more at like 48% like Kentucky was shooting from two uh, because obviously you're, those are usually the more efficient shots. So if you (laughs) shoot, you know, 38.6% from two and you shoot 26.3% from three uh, you're probably not going to win a lot of basketball games.
0: Gators were nine of 33 from the field in the second half. And, and I, I tweeted, uh, shortly after the game and, and was roundly greeted by a barrage of of tweets telling me all the things I don't know about basketball, that, that I felt like Florida had kind of squandered their opportunity to win the game in the first seven minutes of the second half when uh, they dominated Kentucky on the glass, had some transition opportunities, and really just couldn't put the ball in the basket and stretch their lead no
1: yeah that was that was obviously really the uh really the time that it kind of slipped was there was and I forget how many in a row that they missed but there was it seemed like there was five or six possessions in a row where it was um throw up a prayer with two seconds on the shot clock because Florida just hadn't done much and I think a lot of that was uh was due to the fact that they didn't seem to be running sets it was a little bit more back to the motion and this kind of goes back to when we talked about motion offense one time and, and you talked about how, how Kentucky runs motion and. Uh, Uh, The thing about Florida trying to play motion against Kentucky is I'm pretty sure Kentucky had a better athlete in every single position on the floor. So this motion offense that kind of requires, Hey, you get a slight advantage with the dribble, help comes, you dish it out to the open man. They attack a closeout, get a bigger advantage, uh, help comes. And then it's either pass it to a guy for a layup or a three. I mean, that's how motion offense works. But the thing is when Florida is giving up athleticism at every single position, they couldn't get that initial advantage. They couldn't get that initial dribble penetration, so they couldn't get all kind of drive and take opportunities. So instead, it was you know contested twenty-seven footer and uh, just deflating, deflating possessions that obviously turned into long rebounds and runouts for Kentucky, or just uh, uh, just these shots that, that killed any momentum the Gators had on their uh, kind of on their home floor, just because it was uh, such uninspired looking offense. But um, I think, like you said, when when you're when you're up eleven after. Uh, you know, in the second half, uh, you should win a lot of games. And and obviously Florida ended up losing by 11, which just kind of showed how much they let that one slip.
0: So a critic might say if Florida was using its motion offense during a chance, it was getting lots of defensive stops and that offense wasn't working. You know, a a reasonable question from a critic would be, why didn't Florida start running more sets? That's a great question. question.
1: And uh, I'm sure there's kind of reason behind it, but, um, I think that kind of Florida's sets got a little blown up in the first half even. And I know things went well for, for Florida in the first half, but there was a couple times where um, kind of Florida went to that, uh, went to this kind of um, baseline running action where they kind of throw the ball to, to the big on the 45 the three point line to orchestrate offense and, uh, and Kentucky got a steal out of it. And I feel like there was maybe a little bit of uh, being gun shy from, the, from the coaching staff, feeling like they were kind of figured out on a few of their sets a little bit and, um so I don't know maybe they just there's probably a reason they probably thought that um, that the motion offense maybe was better and maybe it was also just hey we've got a lead let's run motion offense and get deeper into the clock which I know some people hate but uh that is kind of one thing about the motion is you kind of usually protect the ball that way and can use most of the shot clock which is something that doesn't hurt when you've got a lead but uh I'm not really sure why they thought that was the better option do you have any uh, insights why you think that might be
0: well, I'm not really sure. I mean, Coach White said that he felt like the problem was the uh, the the offense and the defense, and Andrew Neymar kind of echoed the sentiment that he felt like Florida didn't get out in transition enough when it got a, a bunch of stops uh, early in the first half, which kind of supports my theory that, that Florida's problem in the game kind of started when uh, – you know, that they get in there one two 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 and get a stop and, and they couldn't stretch the lead. Um, You know, I mean, they made a basket here or there, but I mean, Florida had several stops in a row for seven minutes, Kentucky scored what? Two points. So that's where at home in that kind of environment, Florida needed to be running better offense or, or attacking. And I think they didn't. And so my question sort of is, um, you know why are you why are you not attacking? And why if you can't generate it out of your motion, maybe it should be more set based. But it sounds like the coach wanted it to be more transition offense, and, and Florida just couldn't get out and run. And you know one great example was DeAndre Ballard, right? Like Florida gets a quick rebound, and they get out what three on one, and <laughs> Ballard couldn't oh. decide what to do, could he?
1: No, he kind of had that one potential uh, potential push ahead to Nemhart for uh, he was kind of the one running to the rim with them or i forget who it was, but he kind of had a trailer. And then instead he kind of just was in no man's land, couldn't decide what he wanted to do. The ball ended up dribbling it out. And, uh, you know, either that was the greatest one-on-three defensive possession I've ever seen from uh, from the Wildcats there, or uh, just a little bit of indecision. (laughs) But I mean, at least Ballard didn't, you know, maybe throw a bad pass or something, but uh, he had a couple options there and I think he, I think option A and option B would have been better, and he took something more that was option D or E.
0: Right. Reset the whole offense into the half court instead, even though you're three on one. Yeah. And Oops. it was almost like – I think he passed the lock on the wing for three, and at that point it became three on two, and lock kind of – I don't know if he fumbled the pass or was just like caught it flat-footed because he was like, why would you pass backwards? You know? <laughs> yeah, the rhythm <laughs> wasn't there. Right, I mean, I and I really do think it was it was just Noah stunned that the ball came to him a little bit, um, and so Florida's four on two, and then suddenly four on three by the time Locke gets his handle, and then Nimhard's like, well, I guess we better run some offense, and of course Florida doesn't get a basket. Another thing that happened late in the motion, um, which and this is the one thing I'd say because I feel like Florida should have run more sets when the motion wasn't working, and I you know I, I'd love for I understand coach white wanted to get out and transition when they get stops, but you have to have something to do when the other team scores. And so my thought was maybe run more sets. The biggest problem there was something we talked about on the preview of the game, which was the ability of Higgins to extend Andrew Nimhard and the ability of Kentucky's length to kind of make it so that Florida's offense started out really deep. Um, because a lot of those highball screens and handoffs weren't working, were they?
1: No, they really weren't. And I, I think that maybe just a good rule of thumb of when it comes to motion offense versus, versus set base is that if you're not the more athletic team, you're going to have trouble running motion. That's kind of the way I see it. I, right. So It's the way I see with <laughs> the high school team. I coach it's the way that um, I see with the Gators. Um, it's, it is just tough to play motion offense if you are not the more athletic team. So I, I just think, entering a game with a team like Kentucky uh I just think you've got to say like hey I, I think that motion is going to be tough to run against a team that's more athletic in multiple positions that's just the way I, I see it and I think that um you know when you see a team again we like, you know you see Auburn coming up and you think hey maybe we can um we like the advantages of this in this position um let's play motion uh you know what that that makes a little more sense but uh, just moving forward, I, that's what I would just say. And I, it's from from your laughter, I'll say you agree with it too, Neil. That if you're if you're the less athletic team, you're gonna have a tr- tough time scoring with motion.
0: Yeah, I mean, it just uh, I just don't think that that Florida, um, I don't think Florida was making very good offensive choices from from the coaching staff all the way down um, late late in the game, and you know, uh, Florida has just. This Whether it's this team or, you know, there are people who, who would argue that it's been over two seasons that Florida kind of has had str- trouble closing out games, um, partic- particularly against high-level opponents. And, you know, another game where Florida has multi-possession lead, in this case a double-digit lead at home, second time in conference play they've blown a double-digit lead at home and ended up losing – Florida loses by 11 now that largely was a product of of, you know free throws and whatever happens at the end of games Um, but it still felt more decisive than Tennessee even though Tennessee won by more than Kentucky did
1: yeah I mean that Tennessee one really just got away in the last two minutes where I mean it seemed for the last six minutes that that Florida was just was just out of this one and uh, yeah, this is just kind of the common thread. It seems like we could talk about it after every single loss, that uh, uh, just the way that Florida had chances and they, kind of in the clutch and um, had chances up 11 and they just couldn't kind of hold on to a lead. And uh, that's kind of what's crazy as we sit here and look at, look at the record Florida has that they were really in every single basketball game this season, uh, other than Florida state on right. night one of the season. That was the only game where where truly, they got their bloors, doors blown off and just had, No chance other than that they've been really in every basketball game and that you know includes a really good michigan state team a really good tennessee team and you know a really good really really good kentucky team so uh you just you think about whether even if florida could have won one of those games how this kind of season would be different um think if they even won one against kentucky and then one against mississippi state how even different this this kind of season would look or um you know against oklahoma and got a got a better game at the you know in, in atlantis just uh, how you know how many things could have kind of switched how this right. season would be kind of perceived but uh and that's what's crazy about basketball is you kind of talk about a lot of these big kind of like big kind of things like how how does a team defend how what is their offense being ran and then uh all these basketball games come down to a lot of times who can execute better when the game slows down in the final two
0: minutes so um you know i thought this was an interesting game to kind of talk about Something that, and we've brought it up before. But um, if we keep bringing up things that we've brought up before, a lot of times that's probably uh, at least on my end, and I don't know about Eric. Am I going to speak for him? But to some extent, um, I'm listening to the comments that readers or <laughs> that readers that listeners make uh, on Twitter and and in other places, and just kind of noting the, the some of the criticisms about. Um, the staff, and I think one thing that we've mentioned on the show multiple times is that Florida has kind of two recruiting classes that have struggled somewhat or been unlucky or really a combination of both. And I know people don't like the combination of both language. They just want to blame the staff, and that's it. Um, but the Gators continue to not really get much production from from the first two, quote-unquote, full-cycle st- Recruiting classes um, of white. We've mentioned Ballard. Uh, Florida didn't get a whole lot from Dante Bassett um, Saturday against Kentucky. Uh, and you know, it's it's really just freshmen and seniors right now.
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting. It, it's just it's just so sad too. You think about even if Florida was getting just just kind of con- contributions from their freshmen and seniors this year you know, I would have thought, well, that's okay because uh, Keith Stone's going to be really good and Jalen Hudson's going to be awesome. So like, you know, I guess obviously Keith Stone isn't a senior, but in that kind of class with a red junior. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, So I kind of would have thought, Hey, that that's all right. And um, it is really interesting because it seemed like when Florida had had their class with, with Stokes and Johnson and Okaru and Ballard, that kind of seemed like a really kind of perfect class to me because uh, when you look at the teams that win in college basketball, a lot of times it is those. It's not the teams that have the one and done talent that's gone after one year. It's these teams that have guys like uh, like Johnson and Stokes and uh, and and Ballard that are in that kind of like sixty to a hundred range in recruiting rankings because they stay multiple years and get good. But yeah, that just hasn't been the case. And and you know, some people I'm sure. Uh, and I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, but you you do look back to it and say like. Uh you, you look at you look at Ball you know, DeAndre Ballard's kind of offers and uh a lot of them were kind of in the more like SMU and uh which uh like kind of the more like American conference and kind of like that next tier and Florida's one of his best offers and uh you even see that uh that Stokes kind of though he had a UNC offer, um there wasn't a lot of other like great offers other than them in Florida and uh there's just a couple of things like that, even O'Karu. Some people had him as a low four star and some people had him as a low three star and there was a lot of kind of there's a lot of kind of battles there between recruiting rankings and Ballard was the same way some people had him as Florida's top rated recruit and some of them had him as their like least rated recruit so uh, (laughs) you know in retrospect it's kind of interesting to look back at at what Florida kind of did there but uh, it's too bad because I thought that was looking like a great class
0: and uh, obviously that has not been the case. Well it certainly was a balanced class which I think needs to be stated in fairness to some of these other criticisms about not recruiting front court players, because that's just patently false. <laughs> um, I mean, we can, we can talk about how a class hasn't worked out and hasn't produced and how that's hurting the program. Cause I think at this point it's evident that that's the case, but the idea that they haven't recruited front court players is ludicrous. Um, that said, this was a balanced class. Their best recruits no longer on campus. And that was universally, right. I mean, I, right. I don't know. I don't think anyone had boward above Johnson. Um, so, so, and, and Johnson would have helped Florida as we've talked about many times, getting to the rim, but more primarily as a rebounder, you saw Florida lose 46 34 on the glass uh, to Kentucky Saturday. And by the way, that stretch in the final 12 minutes, it was 14 to four. So Kentucky mostly does their damage on the, on the board's, um, in the last ten minutes of the game, when they out-rebound Florida by ten,
1: yeah, that'll uh, that'll lose you a game. And uh, it was kind of interesting. Obviously, his sample size was was minuscule, but but Chase Johnson in that in the early games last season was a, was a really good rebounder. Uh, obviously, there's still people who uh, it, it's crazy because I mean, if someone even looked at Florida's roster and saw how many how many big bigs are on the roster. Uh, at least at least like kind of to start the season they would have never thought oh like Mike White doesn't recruit Biggs like that would be like <laughs> like, just, like you said just not true but obviously uh the things didn't work out and and uh kind of just like crazy luck of, of it being head injuries to Chase Johnson and uh and obviously like I think that Florida probably would have thought with the redshirt year that Isaiah Stokes would be in a place kind of physically that he would be uh uh yeah that he would be kind of ready to go and um, even something that I also find really weird, and I know it hasn't been Florida's problem, but Eric Hester, since he's transferred to Akron, there's been a lot of really weird stuff about what's going on there. And he was off the roster for a little while and back, and it even seems like there was a lot of weirdness surrounding him. So, um, it's really crazy. Cause I mean, I didn't love Bassett as a, as a freshman, but it looks like he's kind of the best player of the first two classes right now from Florida.
0: Yeah. He's well, and he's certainly the one that's showing the most improvement, which is kind of stunning. Um, quite honestly. I mean, they, I think they recruited Michael Caru and thought he'd develop into a secondary ball handler. And and maybe he will, if he stays on campus. Um, Although that's, you know, I think that's probably the first show at the end of this season, whenever it ends. So um, (laughs) we won't get too much into that, but I, but I think, you know, that is, that's interesting. And, and you look at, you know, you have one of the best strength and conditioning guys in America and Preston green, Um, you know, the proof's in the pudding, as they say. Uh, there's a there's a giant hall of all SEC players, um, <laughs> that have gotten right under Preston. So, so it's like I think Eric, you said this what like four or five shows ago about Stokes. I mean, this is just a personal choice, it seems like. Uh, and and maybe, you know, he's a young guy and and by most accounts a nice kid. So, you know, maybe he decides he's invested in in winning, but I don't think that you know I, I'm just not sure how much of that is, what more the coaches can do, I guess is what I'm trying to say.
1: Yeah, and I mean, one thing that I did find kind of interesting about Stokes, and I thought it was uh, when they first signed him, and uh, I was definitely intrigued, but the thing about Stokes was there was just, you know, either Stokes is going to be an incredible player, or he's going to end up transferring, and that was kind of how the way I thought from just kind of how, when they first signed him, just because, uh, look across college basketball, look across... Uh, look across the sec or any other kind of major conference. Um, how many guys do you see that look like Stokes out there? <laughs> there's, right. There's right. not, you don't, you don't see them um, guys need to be able to guard their position. They need to be able to switch out. They need to be able to, to do some different things on the floor. There's um, there's really kind of not a lot of space for it for six, a guys that are, medi- that are 270 pounds and, and mediocre. Um, it's kind of usually, Hey, this guy is awesome and an absolute force. And he's a kind of a focal point of a team um or they just don't work out and that's kind of the thing about a a player like stokes is i'm just not sure he's ever going to be your seventh or eighth man um he's either going to have to be a a really elite kind of starting caliber player that is just so good around the hoop and so good offensively that teams can't handle him because he's going to be kind of a liability on the other end um or he's just probably not going to work out at a power conference or at least in florida so um, you know, there's still a lot of time left to be written. There's a lot left to be written in his story. So I'm curious to see, uh, to see what happens, but um, just kind of the pure, how, just how unique of a player he is in his body is, is uh, it doesn't leave a lot of room to just be mediocre.
0: Right. No, no, it's absolutely true. Um, but for some, for, for one more little insight and in perspective into, into Chase Johnson and just kind of what the program thought they had there. Um, Cause obviously you have a Mr. Basketball from, from West Virginia and, by many accounts the best prospect out of West Virginia in several years. But Florida, you know, uh, and this transitions nicely to Auburn, but but uh Chumo Okeke, who is a good player, um, you know, kinda waited on on Florida in, in, in his recruiting battle with, with Georgia and Auburn and um and Kansas who got in late. But uh Florida had Chase Johnson in the fold and they just weren't, you know, they were good with that.
1: yeah well it's just it's true and it's 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 like actually just sad to me that Florida is not going to be able to uh to ever see what he could have been as a player I'm obviously I mean my heart breaks for Chase Johnson that I you know his career has gone this way and I I really hope that things kind of work out for him in in Dayton but uh from a you know I guess selfish standpoint relatively speaking I I just really wish Florida could have seen what he blossomed into because he is the uh the perfect frame really good skill set for modern basketball and I think could have been uh, could have been an awesome player here in Florida if he didn't have such uh, these freak injuries. So, um, but yeah, I think you put it into perspective pretty well seeing that uh, just kind of how high Florida thought of him.
0: Yeah. I mean um, it, it really was, it was that, I mean, Chase Johnson picked Florida over Arizona mainly and, and, um, and Keke ends up picking Auburn over Georgia with a late push by Kansas um, who I think, I don't don't know if Kansas actually had room for him when they made their late push or how that all worked. But uh, he ends up going to Auburn and playing for Bruce Pearl. Who the Gators will see tomorrow night? Um, I've told or I see here on Twitter from Josh Vitale that, uh, you know, in a season where nothing seems to break Florida's way, it does appear that Austin Wiley uh, will at least play some, quote-unquote, according to Bruce Pearl, tomorrow night.
1: Yeah, that was, uh, that was something I was keeping an eye on just because he (laughs) obviously offers such a massive matchup issue and
0: he'll um, play some,
1: right. And that might be enough. Uh, that's the problem. And I think that's (laughs) probably the way that's uh, that Bruce Pearl sees it. And maybe even Austin Wiley, just, uh, uh, you know, it's one thing if you're, you you know, if you're, um, for example, I mean, they play LSU after Florida. So maybe it's like, Hey, do you, uh, Austin Wiley, do you want to go battle like, you know, Nazarene and, uh, and Emmett Williams and some of those kind of athletes and uh, uh, Cavell pigby Williams, do you want to you know play that or do you want to just play you know a couple minutes against um, you know Dante Bassett off the bench or something like? Um, I could see why coming back for a bit against Florida is a pretty good idea for him, but um, that's definitely going to swing things um, in a lot of different. Uh, it could really uh, swing things in Auburn's favor for sure if he does end up playing and is effective, but. I definitely think kind of the first thing you've got to, you've got to look at with Auburn is that backcourt with Jared Harper and Bryce Brown. Um, I just think they're both just absolutely electric. And I think that like uh, Jared Harper is such an elite passer and um, obviously Bryce Brown can really stroke it from three point line and, and Harper can as well. And, and they're just, yeah, they're just a very electric backcourt. And uh, once again, um, talk, going back to our previous conversation and the conversation we've had lots of times, uh, a lot of these games kind of come down to who's going to be able to to score in the clutch and who's going to be able to execute in the clutch. And if this game is is tied with with 45 seconds left, um, I think the team with Jared Harper and Bryce Brown is probably better set
0: up to win. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a safe take. Um, <laughs> and and you know the other thing is that they've got four guards that they trust because um, you know the, I think Brown and Harper get the line share of the attention, and and that's right. Uh, And they both play over 30 minutes a game. When I say they have four guards they trust, you know, he rotates nine already in Pearl last year, which is what he wants to do, by the way. His best Tennessee teams did that, right? But, like, at Auburn, it's been seven or eight at most until now. Um, He said, we're going to play 10. We've never played 10 before. If Wiley plays tomorrow night, we'll rotate 10. Um. So Florida's going to have just played the most physical game of the season, and they're going to go on the road two nights later and play seven, right, mm. um, against a team that's rotating nine or 10. And Malik Dunbar and Samir Dowdy are guys that that play 20 minutes a game for, for Bruce Pearl. And, and in particular, Malik Dunbar um, is a senior that, you know, <laughs> his turnovers per game, 0. 0.9, uh, which is a pretty nice thing to bring off the bench as a secondary ball handler, right?
1: Well, that's something that, uh, that kind of struck me watching Auburn a little bit uh, the last time I saw them, because, you know, you watch him at first and, you know, I love Harper, I love Brown and obviously Wiley's a massive human, but uh, what kind of struck me the last time I watched him that I didn't think about at first was was just the fact that they have the luxury of bringing in guys that are experienced off the bench. And obviously right. with, uh, with a lot of teams and a lot of SEC teams, um, a lot of times it's like you've got a you know, you have kind of freshmen coming off the bench playing bigger roles or, or sophomores kind of finding their way. But, um, you know, they've got a junior in Javon McCormick that comes off to play point guard off the bench. And and like you mentioned, Samir Dowdy and Embleek Dunbar, a junior and a senior, kind of trade spots. And and Dan uh, Dangel Purifoy, he's a junior that gets to come off the bench and, and kind of play minutes. Um, Anthony McLemore, like uh, another kind good of rebounder, right? yeah, yeah, really good, good rebounder, right? Yeah, really good rebounder. But, but yeah, these guys that we've mentioned, like, I don't think I've said, uh, I don't know, like, is anyone a – is anyone a freshman or I guess true Mo Kiki would be a sophomore then of course, because of the class season. Um, But other than that, these are, these are juniors and seniors. And uh, so it's not even just that they've got a really good starting lineup. Um, They bring these guys off the bench. That's, you know, Javon McCormick, not a outstanding elite talent or anything, but he's a junior. And when you kind of just, you kind of can fill your role positions with experienced guys, um, you're going to be pretty effective.
0: Yeah. I mean, you are. And, and they also, uh, yeah, I mean, (laughs) you're right on there. And and yeah, and Chumio is, is the, the sophomore that, that plays 30 minutes a game is the other 30 minute a game guy they got. And, you know, the thing about him is that, you know, he's really an inside out player. I mean, if, if he has to, he can bang down low and, and he can also uh, spot up and, and, and hurt you from uh, the perimeter. I mean, he shoots 33% outside, which isn't great, but you'll take it. Uh, certainly Florida would take another guy like that. Um, when they got Jalen Hudson at a 25% clip, right? Uh, and then, and then I get back to that hoop math staff that stat that I found so fascinating from a few podcasts ago that, that, uh, all but one team in the Sweet 16 had three or more guys with effective field goal percentage ratings over 50% in a minimum of 100 field goals. Well, Auburn has six, <laughs> they have six. Uh, Austin Wiley, McLemore, Dowdy, Dunbar, Okeke, and, of course, Brown and Harper. So a lot of different ways to score. Um, and then, you know, the classic Bruce Pearl team, a lot of ball pressure, but not necessarily elite defensively. No, they're not. And um,
1: uh, they, uh, they're going to shoot a lot of threes because I just just, while you were on that thought about kind of how they play inside out and, and are able to shoot so much. Up, um, Scott Scroggins, who's, a, who's an Auburn guy, he tweeted this out the other day. Um, so F- Auburn is first and made threes in the sec and Florida is second and Auburn could not hit a single three for their next four games and they would still be in first. And uh, <laughs> when you think about how many, you know, kind of threes Florida shoots um, and the fact that Auburn just makes even, you know, that much more than them, Right. Crazy. right, right. But, but yeah, defensively, um, it's it's kind of really interesting because they're uh, they gamble and uh they make it really interesting defensively because sometimes they have these really good defensive games at least kind of by the numbers um but then other times they can be pretty porous and uh they uh they really try to try to pressure you and get steals which i do think is kind of uh something that's in florida's favor because a team like auburn that relies on generating turnovers is probably going to have you know a rough time against florida who takes care of the ball um but other than that uh there is kind of the the inherent issue of of Jared Harper is a really small guard and, um, you know, they do kind of uh, have these kind of, kind of smaller guys in the front line, at least in terms of length that teams have been able to score a little bit uh, uh, kind of around them, not being able to uh, be contested by much length, but uh, they add uh, the way that they, uh, they, when the Auburn forces turnovers um, kind of gambles for turnovers, I'm curious to see what they'll do against Florida. who doesn't turn the ball over very much.
0: Yeah. The Gators uh, still forts in the country. They, they went from first to fourth. Um, after the Kentucky game in, in forcing uh, opponents turnovers. Um, so the Gators do turn people over at a rate better than most everybody in America. Um, but what they're, what are they there? I don't know what they are. They're in the top a hundred and limiting turnovers. So for, right. uh, pretty good at taking care of the ball. I didn't look at the uh, number. I should have stayed on the page. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it, it, look, Mike's been able to beat Bruce Pearl with bad talent and he's been able to beat him with good talent and part of the reason is that Florida's had good point guard play under under White and they've limited turnovers which is what Auburn feast on defensively and then Mike's teams defend well so it ends up not being the worst matchup for Florida the problem is if Wiley goes this would be the first time that Florida's played Auburn with all these guard pieces but also kind of that post that can kill you Right. And, um, uh, one thing too, about the way that they defend with all those front
1: court pieces is, is the way that they block shots too. And, and one thing that's really interesting is how, uh, how Auburn kind of, you know, you think about the way that they kind of protect the rim and you're probably thinking Austin Wiley, but, and obviously he can block shots really well, but, uh, Chumo Kiki and Anthony McLemore and Malik Dunbar, these are all guys that, um, that really protect the rim, um, kind of playing small, but, um, Uh, Another thing, just as I look at them, uh, once again, those same guys that are not massive players, but Chumo Kiki is, you know, shooting 61% from two. Anthony Macklemore, 61.4. Malik Dunbar, 60% from two. And then, uh, you know, Austin Wiley's at 59%. So uh, they really do have all these guys that can really, uh, really play you inside. And and though you might look at them in a lineup and and not think, you know, they're not as massive as Kentucky's front court, uh, but they're a lot more efficient
0: scoring inside even. So uh you know the Gators again um have been been really Matt uh Zimmick did a nice uh, had a nice stat that that Florida uh, in 30 if games were 35 minutes Florida would have two losses. Oh, that's
1: <laughs> that is a clever stat he brought up and a very painful one as well.
0: Yeah uh and and he writes that that Florida <laughs> Florida rarely plays the top the full 40 they run out of steam they stop displaying patience offensively and they ultimately are overwhelmed and lose by a narrow margin. Um, Florida doesn't get blown out. They're regularly in the hunt against elite teams. They can't close the deal though. And that won't change on the planes, uh, which kind of leads to, I think a nice transition for, for the, um, the, uh, listener question that we're going to feature today, which is Ryan ball who asked, um, what does Florida have to do to make the NCAA tournament? Let's say Florida finishes 18 and 13, which would include then a big win over LSU at home. Where would that put us? Would Florida have to win the SEC tournament or would they just need to get a few wins and hope all the favorites win their conference tournaments? Hmm. 18 and 13. Um, I would have to think that,
1: I mean, obviously cheering for, for some of these mid majors to, to win their tournaments would be a, would be pretty big. I mean, I think Lipscomb could get an that large bid. I think that Buffalo could get an at-large bid. There's lots of other, uh, lots of other bid majors that will kind of be in the mix for those as well, and, and Wofford and, and, and Murray State. And um, You know, do you want if, – if all of those teams were to lose their conference tournaments and to get at-large bids, I do think that that would be uh, – that might be the end of Florida's chances. So, um, you know, 18-13, to 13, if they were to maybe win, you know, two games in the SEC tournaments before, before losing – um, I think that that could be, uh, oh, that could maybe be enough. It's it's still tough to say right now. And I'm really not a bracketology expert that's looking at this a ton, but uh, kind of historically, I would say uh, looking at that and just looking at the way that, that Florida really wouldn't have a ton of bad losses. And I know that their quadrant one record would look really poor with tons of losses. Uh, I think they might be able to find their way into a play-in game. Um, what I'm really interested to see as well um is you know florida's done well in the net rankings and i do wonder if in the first year of the net rankings how much they'd want to really challenge themselves by not putting in a team who does really well in there so if florida was kind of in the mix to be you know far and away the highest team in the net that maybe wouldn't make the tournament i don't know if they'd want to uh just skip out on that and kind of show that they don't have a lot of trust in their own metrics so uh, yeah yeah i, I but i am not really sure that's it that's a great question what do you think neil
0: uh, I think eighteen and thirteen with one win would be enough. I really do. I think I think the SEC is valued. Eighteen and thirteen would make you ten and eight in, in a power six. That's that's valued pretty highly, I think. Um, and I know the SEC didn't have the greatest year out of conference, um, but I but I also think you know you, you have yet another soft bubble. Um, not a ton of mid major candidates that are like huge candidates to steal at large bids. You mentioned Lipscomb, I think. They would certainly merit discussion. I think Loyola Chicago has challenged themselves in the non conference and might merit discussion, um, especially because the committee knows that roster, right? Mm. Um, but beyond a couple teams, it, it doesn't frighten me. You know, we'll get uh, Chris, who we had on earlier, back on the show at some point to talk about it a little closer if it's relevant for Florida or not. Um, But I think, you know, if Florida has a winning record in league play, then I imagine they'd get in. Now, one way to make sure you get a winning record would be to go and win at Auburn. Um, Because, believe it or not, Florida has four of their next five on the road. But then, you know, at least relative to the rest of the schedule, it softens at the end other than senior day against LSU.
1: Yeah, well, Mm. I mean, you'd think that – I mean, you'd hope that that Missouri at home would be be like a a pretty good –
0: uh, right in florida
1: and you think that vanderbilt of course don't, even though florida has kind of uh, has kind of struggled there you'd think that that would be uh you know vanderbilt isn't great and then you've obviously got georgia who uh florida shouldn't have a you know a big problem with so hopefully you get a little bit of momentum there going into that final LSU kentucky so uh there there's still kind of you know there's there's avenues for florida to to yeah to get this one uh, uh 10 and 8 like you said and um that yeah now now that you mentioned that you know i'm maybe a little more hopeful
0: so uh Jason Kessler, um we'll we'll just close with him because he's got a quote from Mike White today, which is uh got the hive going. And and I wanted to see if you think it's it's anything. Mike White, we are who we are offensively. If we don't hit jump shots, it's hard for us to score. Now, let's say the 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 people that want to fire Mike White now, as in tomorrow or the end of the year, or next week, or after Florida loses to Auburn they would all say, well, that's Mike White's fault that they, they if they they have to hit jump shots to win. What say you? Um, uh, I, this kind of goes back
1: to something I've said a couple of times, that, that I do think a lot of individual kind of player development is not entirely on the coaching staff. Um, and I think I kind of look at it and say, like, uh, once again uh, – Kayvon Allen, not elite at getting to the hoop. Uh, Andrew Nemhart is a freshman, not elite at getting to the hoop. Uh, obviously, we talked about Noah Locke, not great at getting to the hoop. Uh, Florida just doesn't really have these guys that can create off the dribble and get into the paint. So um, a lot of people would say, like, well, Mike White's got to, you know, still figure that out after the coach does. And, and um, I will say, you know, I, I, that is that is true to some extent. But – and obviously people who say that, you know, Florida or Mike White built this roster, um, obviously that that is true. But – um, at this point of the season, um, I, I don't think that's, that um, he was probably expecting Jalen Hudson to, uh, to be this poor and to be missing Keith Stone and uh, to be missing some of his other frontcourt pieces that he probably thought would really change the way he played basketball. So um, I think when you look at this team's kind of strengths up and down the roster, you see jump shooting. And when you look at their deficiencies, it's, uh, well, it's, it's kind of getting the ball into the paint. So for him to say this is a team that needs to kind of hit jump shots, and that's, you know, we are we are, um, I, I think that that's that's probably accurate and um, uh, I think that that doesn't uh, that doesn't kind of concern me
0: in in, in any way that's uh, <laughs> that makes me think any less of Mike White <laughs> right um, I, I feel like it's an honest answer about right his, his current roster right like I, I mean I get it he, yeah he built the roster we we you know and we've been through all that I mean we had an hour-long show with with Neil Shulman where we you know kind of gave the festivist airing of grievances to the to, to the naysayers and said, here, present all your arguments. And I think we've tried to present them as much as we can. So if we're not doing that, you know, go ahead and add us on Twitter. You know where to find us. We we have like three accounts. Um, and, and we'll try to answer those questions on the show. But in, in terms of this, this just seems like an isolated instance of like, oh, he said something that fits one of our critical narratives. So we'll just blow it up. Whereas... To me, in the heat of a moment, it's a coach that has always been candid with the press being candid with the press. I mean, I
1: I think I would have been mad if he went out there and said, like, hey, we've got to go, uh, uh, you know, we've got to be able to, you know, score one-on-one on Auburn. Like, we've got to be able to go and get layups. Um, Because to me, that would just show a guy who's (laughs) out of touch with what the reality is. So, um, you know, I I really like how, how candid Mike White is. And I think it's honestly gotten him. In way more trouble than it has been positive for him, just because um, people just jump on the things he says. Honestly, um, more than if he was just a, a regular college basketball coach that just talked in, in kind of uh, uh, cliches. So uh, I really like that he's open, and, and yeah, I would be much. I, I would like, yeah, I'd rather him say like, "Hey, this kind of is what we is what it is," because I kind of agree that this kind of is what it is with this talent and um, the talent he's got healthy. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think it would have been really concerning if he's like, yeah, uh, you know, against, uh, against Auburn, we're going to go in there and we're going to pound the ball inside and, and get buckets <laughs> and, and get like, cause that would just be like, Hey coach, like what are you doing? What are you thinking about? But,
0: or, um, or people so would good. have said, or people would have said, well, why haven't you tried that all year? Oh, that's yeah. That's yeah. True. So, I mean, it's kind of one of these darned if you do darned, if you don't deals, um, And, you know, hey, you know what's great is that people are passionate about Florida basketball. We're, like, we're 12 and 9, and and what a coach says in a press conference starts trending on Twitter, right?
1: (laughs) No, (laughs) Um, I actually, I would rather have that than apathy.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's great that people care. For what it's worth, um, you know, I I was able to talk to some people uh, inside the program and close to the program. Uh, prior to the game Saturday and, and the general sentiment in the, in the athletic office to the extent that anybody was revealing anything was, uh, they feel like coach has been hamstrung by some injuries. Um, they certainly are disappointed with the development of, of the, uh, of of what was a, a highly regarded recruiting class, which we've talked about on the show, but, but nobody was saying anything about the word hot seat and, um, you know, I think everybody's just kind of hopeful that that uh they'll take the off season and, and reflect and and head into next year with, with a plan and and a uh, and a path forward. And I think you know, we're not writing off this season on Florida basketball, or I just kinda wanted to relay that because I, I did have some conversations with some people who would know what they're talking about.
1: Yeah, I mean I, I, I do this is one thing too. I definitely don't want my quite fine as people to know that uh you know, listen to this. Um, but I also do think that there needs to be some kind of, you know, expectations in place. And, and a bunch of people have kind of asked me when, when I've said, no, I don't think Mike White should be fired. And they say, um, you know, like, do I think Mike White's in the hot seat? And I say no. And then, you know, and then I say like, you know, th- then they say like, well, what about if he, you know, loses, misses the NCAA tournament next year? And then, you know, I was like, well, yeah, maybe then. But like, uh, <laughs> right. at, you know, for it, you know, three and a half years in right now, and he's still looking at um, kind of the results we've had, like, i i I don't yeah i don't think he should be on the hot seat and it's kind of good to hear that it's uh, it is kind of echoed around uh, around the program
0: yeah i mean i i I, and i'd add this just to that kind of thought because you see this a lot you see this well it's year four they should be doing better well it's not football right where where you have 25 recruits in every class and you can kind of shape the roster a little faster um I mean, you have some eligibility stuff that you have to work around. And, and, and you know, I, look, the bottom line, everybody that follows me on Twitter knows my position on it is, is, is very similar to Eric's. I would say that I think the injury, we have talked about Chase Johnson, until we're blue in the face. The Johnny Boone injury was, was extraordinarily hurtful to this program and, and its trajectory under Coach White. I think it's a Final Four team if he doesn't get hurt. Um, pretty pretty convicted by that i also think he goes to the nba if he doesn't get hurt and florida is looking at sort of a rebuild without him either way last season but when he did come back i think the expectation was he would play an sec play last year and he didn't and you know duke from duke Corner on down people were surprised that, that his knee reacted the way it did and just like they're kind of surprised that you know Gorjak gack has has had the problems that he's had so uh you know, yeah. I mean, I think saying that he's been hamstrung by injuries while also criticizing certain things is fair. And if if anyone thinks that's not fair, that's okay. You know, I think opinions are great, but I also think you're you're being somewhat disingenuous. Uh, yeah.
1: It would be interesting to see what the, the kind of trajectory would be for uh, for Florida if John Abudu played last year. Um, just even to you know say he comes comes back for for conference play and, and plays out the rest of it. You know, I, I would like to think that that uh, being able to have Abudu would have been would have made up for the the one possession they lost to Texas Tech by in the round of 32. So, you know, if you're looking at uh, two Sweet 16 or you know an Elite Eight and a Sweet 16 in a row, or, or you know maybe they would go further and have two Elite Eights or something crazy in a row. Um, I, I'm curious to see if there's a little more patience, but it is it is still crazy that you know a coach coming off a, an Elite Eight and then a round of 32 is is kind of viewed with so much content. scorn this yeah. year for yeah, <laughs> just because. Uh, I think there's a lot of programs in the power it's, five that would be pretty happy with that.
0: Right. It's hard to uh it's hard to replace a legend and and I'm glad that mm-hmm. expectations are that high at Florida. Um I think you know that's why we started the show is <laughs> we have a really good program, like nationally good. And we everybody should be upset when Florida's twelve and nine. Um but but I also think uh that, that I still am I still am firmly in the better days of her head camp. And if you think that's silly, that's fine um we're so glad you listen and and we're happy to answer any of your questions especially when you don't agree with us because we will take our chances at explaining ourselves
1: yeah the show might be a lot better if one of us just hated Mike quite truthfully just for a little more uh, a little more conflict but uh, uh, it, uh it's it's uh, the fans are there for that too so that's uh, that works
0: <laughs> all right everybody we will be back um to talk about uh tennessee round two and to uh, to cap um, the Auburn game, hopefully uh, a Florida win um, on the road. I certainly think that in terms of like which game this week does Florida match? You know, I'll take my chances against Auburn <laughs> rather, than, yeah. rather than the number one team in America in their gymnasium. But hey, what are you gonna? You know, you know that's why they play the games. The Gators certainly shouldn't be afraid of Tennessee, having stood eye to eye with them for thirty nine minutes, right?
1: no yeah they should be uh they should be uh seen with a little bit of
0: confidence i think and that's that's uh that's gonna be it so hopefully uh they can gators can give Eric a belated birthday present and, i'd like um, that we'll we'll be back to talk about it thanks everybody.